Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. The Dow Jones and the dollar finished the day and the week lower and gold finished the week not only higher but with its biggest daily gain in probably about a month the price of gold was up just over $15 today which still is not that big a move it shows you how uh, relatively calm the gold market has been we haven't had that many big updates certainly most of the time that we've had a more than $10 move it seems like it's been to the downside uh, but gold up close at about 12.93. Gold stocks were higher on the day, but not very much so. In fact, the last time the price of gold was at this level, gold stocks as a group were about 4% higher. So that still shows me that the market is very skeptical of this gold rally, and therefore people are not willing to bet on it continuing by buying forward-looking gold stocks. The Dow was off about 100 points, so that was enough to be a down close on the week. Dollar index down again, uh, down 0.26 at 93.67. So the dollar is coming under some more selling pressure, even as the House has already passed its version of the Tax Cut uh, and Jobs Act. And of course, the Senate still needs to deliberate. There still are some differences between the Senate and the House bill that may, in fact, even sink the bill itself. In fact, there's one aspect of the House bill that I hadn't even spoken about. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I want to look a little bit more, talk a little bit more, rather, about what's going on in the markets. You know, I was reading a article today that the Chicago Fed, they put out a financial condition uh, index. And according to their research, financial conditions in the United States are the loosest since January of 1994. Now, of course, that was early on in the dot-com bubble. I mean, before it even bubbled up, right? It was just at the beginning of that bull market. Yet the Federal Reserve has been tightening, right, raising interest rates for a couple of years. They've been talking about shrinking their balance sheet. Why is it that financial conditions are looser now than they were when the Fed was still at zero? And I've been talking about this the whole time. The Fed is so far behind the curve. I mean, yeah, they've raised interest rates, but it's too little too late. Even the official inflation rates have risen as much, if not more, than the rate hikes. Meanwhile, the stock market keeps going up. And now that you have the dollar going down, a weakening dollar actually adds to the loosening of financial conditions, which are obviously going to get a lot looser if the Fed doesn't start really jacking up rates faster, which I don't think they're going to do. In fact, I think they're going to get ready to cut rates again and loosen financial conditions even further as the economy goes into recession or relapses back into recession, which I said, I think on my last podcast, I think we would have already been there 
had Hillary Clinton won the election, and since Donald Trump won and you have all this false optimism, it is delaying the onset of that recession for a year or two, but it's not preventing it. And so if financial conditions are this loose now, when the Fed is is tightening, imagine how much looser they're going to get when the Fed is easing. You know, one of the examples of what happens or of why financial conditions are so loose is the ease with which companies can get financing, right? When there's cheap money, when there's money flying around or floating around, uh, you know, freely, you know, all kinds of crazy businesses can can get funding. Like I was reading an article today on this company, MoviePass. And if you don't know who MoviePass is or you haven't heard of this company, basically what they do is they allow people to subscribe to a, a service. And when, once you subscribe and you pay a fee, you can go to as many movies as you want or one per day. So a typical month has 30 days. So if you're a subscriber, in theory, you can go to the movie theater 30 times in a month and you pay one price. And the price that they pay was already losing money. I think they were charging about 10 bucks a month or nine bucks a month uh, for a subscription. And if you see one movie a month, uh, pretty much they lose money. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, they just lowered the price to $7.50 a month. That's the subscription. I know where I go to the movies. I think I have to pay like $12, $13 to go to one movie. I mean, maybe, I don't even know if I can go to a matinee for $7.50. But if they're going to allow me to buy a subscription where my monthly fee is $7.50 a month and a movie costs 10 bucks or more, how can they possibly make money as a business? They can only make money if the person who is subscribing doesn't go to the movies that often. But if you're not going to go to the movies that often, you have no reason to sign up for a membership, right? I mean, people can do the math, right? They can look at how much it costs. And if it costs $7.50 a month and you're only seeing three or four movies a year, well, then you're not going to sign up. But if I'm seeing one movie a week and I'm spending 50 bucks, and these guys say, hey, just sign up for my service at $7.50, then I'm going to sign up. The problem for MoviePass is MoviePass pays the theaters the actual ticket price. So when you're a member and you go to the movies, you just show them your card and you get a ticket and they bill MoviePass the, the regular cost. MoviePass doesn't even get a discount. They have to pay the full, the full price. They didn't even negotiate a volume discount. So obviously the movie theaters love this because they get the full price. But the bigger problem for MoviePass is the moral hazard. Because once somebody signs up, right, once you've committed and you've paid now your $7.50 for a monthly pass, now you might as well go to more movies than you would normally go to because they cost you nothing, right? When something is free, you will use more of it, especially if you live relatively close to the movie theater. I mean, why not go? I mean, go to a movie every night. I mean, why watch on your small screen at home? Just watch whatever's there. In fact, if it's a movie that you really like, go back and see it again, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, and so th this is the inherent problem with this business model. The company is eventually going to go bankrupt. It's only a question of when. But the fact that they're even a company, the fact that they can even sucker investors into funding this, the fact that they're there is a function of the loose financial conditions. If this was a normal market with normal interest rates, there's no way a crazy company like MoviePass uh, could ever could ever come into existence. You know, there's an old joke, right, where a company is uh, losing money on, on everything that they sell. And 
the the response is, well, they make it up on volume, right? You know, well, this company is actually trying to put that joke into practice. They're actually trying to to do it. They're deliberately losing money on on every transaction. Now, somehow, I think that they might that they're going to make some money because they're going to get they get all this data, right? They know what movies you you go to, and maybe they think they can sell this information. Uh, and make some money somehow. But whatever it is, the moral hazards are so great that they will never be able to make back the money that they lose. Because the only people who are going to sign up are going to be people who know they're going to they're going to go to more movies uh, than they're paying for. So the people that don't go to movies very often are not going to sign up. So th- this is a pipe dream. But when you see stuff like this, right? And I went over and I spent a lot of time talking about Blue Apron. When you get these kind of crazy business models that are obviously flawed, this only happens in an era of loose, easy money. And, and that's where we are. And, and this is another reason why the dollar is going to go down. It's going to go much lower because, as I said, the rate hikes that the Fed delivered were too little too late. The dollar rallied on the anticipation of these rate hikes. Well, we never got enough hikes uh, to justify the rally. And, of course, the hikes only sow the seeds of their own reversal because eventually the Fed has to reverse course and uh, and start lowering rates. Now, also, I wanted to talk about the tax plan because I just noticed, all right, maybe I noticed it, but I didn't really talk about it, but I, I this is the first time I wanted to comment about it, that in the House version, not in the Senate version, this is just in the House version, so this is another thing that has to be reconciled if the House passes their version, but the house is going to tax the value of free tuition that you get in exchange for for working and there are a lot of people that get free tuition now i'm not sure if it applies to uh let's say a, a teacher at a at a private school whose children are allowed to enroll in the school for free right the parent doesn't have to pay Tuition, his kids get in there for free because he's a teacher. Right now, that free tuition is not taxable. I'm not even sure. I haven't looked at it if um, if that's affected by this. Maybe it is. But the articles I've read were focused on graduate students because a lot of times when people are going for their PhD, they are working at a university and they're teaching, uh, either they're teaching a course themselves or they're a, a, an assistant to another teacher. And they generally work for a relatively low pay. Maybe they make twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, but they get their graduate degree for free. They get free tuition, which at the inflated cost of tuition, right, the theoretical market value of that tuition is very, very high. So what the House bill says is that if you are working at a college and in exchange for working, they are giving you free tuition. Now that free tuition needs to be included in your taxable income. Well, the problem is there's no money to pay the tax. So if you're getting $50,000 a year worth of free uh, tuition, and let's say you're making $30,000 a year in actual cash, well, now you're paying income tax on $30,000. But after the Senate bill passes, assuming it passes and the House incorporates this provision, now you would owe income taxes on 80000 Well, you're in a higher tax bracket, obviously, on 80000 and 30000 but you're paying that higher tax bracket on $50,000 worth of money that you never received. You only got $30,000, and of course, then you had to pay for your room and board, or you had to live. I mean, pretty much, if you're getting $30,000 a year, 
there's really not much left over uh, once you finish, uh, you know, eating and paying rent. Where are you going to come up with another five or ten thousand dollars to pay the income taxes on the fifty thousand dollars worth of free tuition uh, that you never actually got any cash for? So this would basically bankrupt all of the grad students. In fact, if they do this, then uh, no one's going to be able to work for free tuition anymore. I mean, the whole the whole program is going to have to go away. They're going to have to pay these people cash, and then they're going to have to buy their tuition. And of course, the tuition is not even tax deductible. So it would really force these colleges to have to pay much higher uh, salaries to people that are working and going to grad school, which would probably mean they'd have to jack up uh, their uh, tuition for everybody else. Because obviously, by employing this labor cheaply, it saves the universities money because they get to give out this free tuition that really costs them nothing. Right. It's just another guy sitting there in the classroom. The marginal cost of providing somebody free tuition to the university is pretty much nothing. And now the worker gets something of a lot of value, doesn't have to pay any income taxes on it. So he's obviously willing to work for low pay. So if that's not going to be the case, or if you're going to have to pay taxes on the value of the tuition, then the colleges are going to have to dramatically increase what they're paying uh, these grad students so that they can afford uh, to pay the tax bill on the money they did not get. We'll see if this thing actually uh, survives the, uh, the reconciliation process. Yeah, as I said, there's a lot of hidden time bombs in this in this phony tax cut, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, some people get a tax cut, yes, but other people get a tax hike, but nobody nobody really gets any tax relief because government is getting bigger, not smaller, and so bigger government needs to be financed. So the government's going to get its money from the taxpayer one way or another, whether he knows it or not. In fact, you know, I read this article a couple days ago, that U.S. household debt just hit a new all-time record high. New all-time record high. And, of course, the article that I read basically was trying to dismiss the significance of it because they said, well, relative to GDP, it's not a new record because that record happened, uh, I think, a few years back or maybe before the, the, the financial crisis. But that's not the right metric. I mean, you can't just compare household debt to GDP. What you should be comparing is household debt to household assets. Or you should be comparing household debt to household income, right? Because the GDP doesn't help you service your debt. What helps you pay your debt is your actual income. Or if you want to know what your debt, uh, you know, looks like, you know, you need to relate it to your own assets, not just the GDP of the country, if you're going to look at it on a household level. And if you look at those metrics, it's, it's a new all-time record high. And, of course, what none of these stories uh, factor in or none of these articles is what is the average household share of the national debt, which is now $20.5 trillion. You know, it seemed like just the other day it was it just passed $20 trillion. Now it's $20.5 trillion, right? We're making a beeline for $21 trillion pretty quickly. But that debt belongs to American households. They have their share of that. That's not counted in the actual debt. In fact, each household share of the government's debt is bigger than their own debt. The government has borrowed more money in the name of each family than the family has borrowed on their own, right? And now that doesn't include the states and the uh, local governments. There's another $3 trillion that households are on the hook for because of money that their state or their city has borrowed. So now you take that $3 trillion and $20.5 trillion, you almost got $24 trillion of funded debt that households are on the hook for. So it's off the charts. And of course, if this tax cut passes then the household share of government debt is going to grow even faster because the government is going to have to take on even more debt 
than they would have taken absent the tax cuts because they are having a net reduction in revenue. And therefore, we're going to have an, a bigger increase in the national debt. You know, by the way, one of the things I didn't even notice, too, is the tax reductions for individuals are just actually temporary. In order to minimize the impact on the long-term outlook for the deficits, they phase out. So the corporate tax cuts are permanent, but the reductions for the individual are only temporary. They're, they're going to go away. So even, even as it stands, a lot of the people who are being promised a tax cut now, they're also being promised a tax hike later. Now, the rationale is that, well, you know, the future Congress won't allow those breaks to, to mature, so they'll come in and they'll, and they'll pass some kind of new bill in order to preserve those rates, which is what they did the last time around when the Bush tax cuts expired. Uh, they did vote to make them permanent, except for the very, very rich. And so I think people are betting that they're going to do it again. I don't think so, because obviously by the time these tax cuts uh, you know, phase out, assuming that they even last that long, my bet would be whatever tax cuts we get are going to be re replaced with tax hikes a lot sooner. Uh, than people think. But even somehow if they were able to survive, there's. I think the debts are going to be so big, the economy is being in so much trouble, they're going to be ra raising taxes. There's no way that they're going to be able to preserve uh, these, these tax cuts. Now, I've been reading some more articles recently about how young girls are basically forced into prostitution in order to cover the cost of, uh, of college and student loans. And, you know, I've talked about this before. I mean, if you remember back in the days when I still had the Peter Schiff Daily Radio Show, I had this porn actress that was one of my one of my uh, guests, um, Belle Knox, and she was getting a lot of uh, you know attention because she was a college student and she was paying for her college education by by doing porn, right? And and at the time I said this is terrible. You know you've got the government by, you know, artificially inflating the cost of college where they're guaranteed and subsidized student loans, you know, it was college was so expensive that they were turning uh, our young, our girls into, into prostitutes in order to pay, uh, pay tuition. And now I've just been reading more of these stories. Uh, I looked at another story about this uh, uh, website, Seeking Arrangement and the popularity of uh, Seeking Arrangement. Uh, and you've got most of the, the women that are on this site are going to college and they are looking for wealthy older men to, you know, give them money so that they don't have to borrow money so that they can, you know, support themselves while they're in college and graduate without debt. I mean, this is a trend that is continuing and is more evidence of the, uh, the economic pressure that is being put on young people who are basically wasting all this time. Now, you know, a lot of these young girls, they should just skip college instead of prostituting themselves so they can afford a degree uh, that they don't even need. In fact, a lot of these uh, women are probably majoring in liberal arts. I mean, do you really need to do that? Do you really need to become a prostitute so you can get a degree in sociology? I mean, this is all a bunch, uh, it's a complete waste of money. And it's unfortunate that we're doing this to a generation of young women. You know, there was an article that made me think about, it, I put on my Facebook page today because there was a woman who sold her virginity uh, on a website um, called uh, Cinderella Escorts. And this was, uh, I guess, a, a record high price. She sold her virginity for two and a half million euros, which is about $2.9 million. And that was about 9% higher 
Then I think uh, there was a Romanian model that sold her virginity for 2.3 million euros a year ago. And that, that model was, she was 18. This, uh, this model is 19 years old, but she's selling, she's selling uh, uh, her virginity for what, almost $3 million. I mean, <laughs> I can imagine that the, this story is obviously going to prompt a lot more people to come up there. Now, sure, you know, not many people are going to be able to get that much money uh, for their virginity, but I know that is a pretty rare commodity these days. So I guess, you know, there's a market for everything. And if you don't have a lot of supply of virgins and you've got a lot of uh, wealthy men who are, are looking for that experience, uh, then the market is going to set the price. And m my guess is that this is going to be happening a lot more uh, in the United States, given the financial burden that that young Americans are in, you know, particularly, you know, and you know, young American women, I guess they have a way uh, to quickly, um, you know, get out of debt or quickly satisfy uh, these um, these pressures that they have financially. I mean, young men are obviously not going to have that that avenue, most of them anyway. Um, although, you know, it's hard to say if this is necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but clearly, I mean, if you can get if you can get three million dollars, I'm not making any moral judgment on this, but um, that's a that, that's 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 a, you know, a, an offer that most people couldn't uh, couldn't refuse. So it's hard to it's hard to uh, blame her for for that kind of money. A lot of girls lose their virginity and they, they, they don't they don't get anything. I mean, in fact, they, they they end up they get drunk and they end up losing their virginity. And, uh, you know, they don't make anything on it. And sometimes they don't even, uh, you know, re remember who the guy was. But I might as well, you know, segue into sexual harassment because, you know, obviously if a girl is drunk, then she cannot uh, consent to having sex. So if a girl loses her virginity while she's drunk, then she has, in fact, been raped. But I, I want to talk about what is going on now because every day you see or hear about uh, another woman coming out and accusing somebody of sexual harassment or, or inappropriate behavior. You know, one of the more recent ones was is Senator Al Franken, right? And if you don't know who he is, right, this is a guy who was a comedian, used to be on Saturday Night Live, member of the 80s, uh, was the Al Franken decade. And, uh, you know, at some point in the 2000s, he went into politics and he became a United States senator. He's a pretty liberal guy. And, you know, normally I like it when liberals are left stewing in their own brew, right? When you see some of these guys and, 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 they, and they need to deal uh, with, with, with a lot of these consequences because they champion a lot of these causes and they go criticize everybody else. Um, but in, in this situation, you know, and even though Franken has apologized, what did he do? I mean, this is ridiculous. The guy was on a USO tour. If you don't know what that is, they're, they're entertaining the troops, right? So he's doing a favor. You know, these guys don't get paid, right? They're out there, I think, and they're volunteering to entertain the troops. I mean, Bob Hope style. And when you do um, these shows, it's all comedy and, and TNA, right? That's what it's about, right? You get laughs and you see beautiful girls. And obviously we know which one Al Franken was there to supply, right? And that's what he was doing. But there was a woman with him. Very attractive model. Uh, I think she was even uh, maybe in Playboy or a Hooters girl, but very beautiful, great figure, exactly what our servicemen want to see when they're overseas. And so they're there together uh, doing a good thing for the troops. And, you know, Al Frank is a comedian, right? I mean, so, and they're there. Now, he wrote a skit that they are going to perform in front of the troops. And 
this the skit involves a kiss where he gets to kiss this very beautiful woman. Now that's in the script. I mean, of course, he wrote the script, which is your prerogative. In fact, I think if any one of us had to write a script that involved a girl, we'd write in a kiss, right? I mean, I mean, that's how that's how things go. And so he wanted to rehearse the kissing scene. Who wouldn't want to rehearse the kissing scene? And I'm sure that there are a lot of kissing scenes in a lot of plays, theater, movies, and I'm sure they have rehearsal. But anyway, so he wanted to rehearse the scene, and apparently she didn't want to rehearse it, and he was like a little bit more forceful, and that was it. And he he, he stole a kiss, and she didn't like it, and here we go, what, how many years later, 20 years later, all of a sudden, this is a big deal, that Al Franken stole a kiss uh, in, a, uh, in a rehearsal for a, a, a skit that involved a kiss, and in fact, I think in the skit... Um, she was supposed to resist the kiss. Like he wanted to kiss her and she didn't want to kiss him. And that was part of the humor. And now this is a big deal. I mean, I seriously doubt that this was a big deal at that time. I, you know, why she's bringing this up now. I mean, to just get some kind of media attention. I mean, if she'd have brought this up at any other point in time, nobody would have cared. But all of a sudden now, anybody that says anything and all of a sudden it's a national story. Now, the other thing she has supposedly, or not supposedly, she's got this photograph of herself and Al Franken, and she's asleep, and Al Franken is there with his hands, you know, over where her boobs would be, and he's looking at the camera smiling, right? Obviously, he's joking around. He's like, hey, you fell asleep, so I took this opportunity to grope you, although you don't even know that he's groping her because you can't even see if his hands are actually touching uh, her, her, her chest. Or if they're just, he's just simulating it because you can't tell. But meanwhile, she's wearing body armor. I mean, she's not naked. I mean, she's got some kind of full metal jacket on. She's got a bulletproof vest on. I mean, even if he touched her chest, he's not feeling anything. You know, so he really wasn't copping a feel. What he's doing is he's making a joke. He's like, hey, you passed out. See, look, we're going to cut your breast. And why did she even have the photograph? Because Al Franken gave it to her. You think he's going to sexually harass somebody? And then give them a photograph to memorialize the experience. He's a comedian. He's making a joke. She kept the photograph. Now all of a sudden she's an opportunist. And she's going, oh, this is horrible. Oh, he kissed me. Oh, his tongue. Oh, no. It was, oh, it was like a serpent. It was horrible. I mean, I'm not, you know, maybe kissing Al Franken isn't the greatest thing in the world. But I, I mean, how bad can it be? I mean, how many guys could she have kissed, right? This is no big deal. Poor guy's got to apologize for this. I mean, I mean, but he's got no other choice, right? You know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You have these liberals, he's got to come out. Oh, he's got to apologize. There is nothing to apologize for. I mean, how many guys have stolen a kiss? You know, but this is even legitimate. This is a rehearsal. He's rehearsing a kiss scene in a play, in a skit. I mean, can anybody in Hollywood now, look, think of all these movies with all this kissing. I mean, does every leading man now have to worry that if he kisses a woman on screen, that she's going to come back and say, look, you know, I didn't like that. You know, I think you enjoyed that too much or you, you put, you know, you, you slipped your tongue in there. I mean, I mean, where are we going as a society that this is happening? In fact, I read this article. It's not just in the U.S. You know, it, this is, you know, happening worldwide, although this is, you know, has implications. But I, there was a lawsuit that was filed by an intern and she was working for a, a French bank. And... She got a job, I guess, in the trading room as an intern. And, you know, it's all guys, right? And, and they're there. And, you know, she's working with all these guys. And in her lawsuit, she's not claiming that any of these guys, like, raped her. 
or sexually harassed her in, you know, in a way nobody groped her or grabbed her by the whatever. Her lawsuit is based on the environment that she was in, that these guys were just, you know, being crude, childish guys, their behavior, right? They were burping, they were farting, they were telling jokes, they were talking about sex, they were talking about sports and whatever they were doing. She said it created an environment that no woman would be comfortable with, right? Yeah, because they're just guys being guys. They probably were treating her like one of the guys, right? They weren't trying to change what was happening. I mean, she was coming into their environment, and that's the environment. Now, obviously, I mean, it's an internship. I mean, it's not even like it's a great gig. I mean, if you don't like the environment, if guys burping is offending you, then just quit. You're an intern. You can you can intern someplace else. But now she files a lawsuit and says, no, 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 I'm going to sue you because this is sexist. You guys are misogynist. I feel like I was uh, uh, sexually harassed because I don't like to be in this environment. And here is the bigger problem. You, know, you got women that want to work uh, and they don't want to be discriminated against. Well, what kind of message does this tell you? Better not hire a woman because if we hire a woman, either we've got to force every guy in the office to act differently, right? You, you can't be yourself anymore. You can't just have the type of you know camaraderie that you had. You can't joke around because once we introduce a woman into the environment, now we have to treat her like a woman. So you have to be very careful what you say. You got to be very careful what you do uh, because, you know, women have thinner skin or women uh, can be more offended. You know, if the women want to say, look, we're equal to the men, then, you know, why can't they deal uh, with this environment just like the guys can? I mean, maybe there's some guy in there that doesn't like it when another guy burps, but, you know, he's not filing a lawsuit. Uh, but when you have people coming in and suing just because they don't like the environment, then what does that mean? I mean, that means, you know, psychologically, businesses are wanting to minimize their lawsuits. Now, are they saying that, hey, you know, you've got to force everybody to behave a certain way, too, the minute that you hire a woman? Because if that is the case, then you're not going to want to hire that woman. Because, A, it might be hard to get your male employees to all change their behavior now that a, a woman has been introduced. Now, look, there are going to be some guys that are going to be more gentlemen, and they're just going to act differently. But I don't know, in the pressure of a trading room and people are just saying things and doing things, I mean, maybe that's just the way it is. Maybe they're not going to change it just because they hired a female uh, intern. Does that mean they just can only hire male interns? Well, no, because if they don't know, you're not, you're discriminating. You're, you're not hiring women. So we'll sue you for that. Oh, you hired a woman? Well, we're going to sue you for that because the environment that you hired her into wasn't conducive for women. You know, the reality is, Men want to work. Women want to work. They got to tough it up. You know, nobody is entitled not to be offended. I mean, that's not the way the world works. You just have to be able to roll with the punches, right? Go with the flow, right? And if you don't like the environment at a particular job, then don't work there. Nobody has a right to a job, right? You don't have a right to, 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 to work for somebody else's business. It's the owner of the business, right? He, you know, He's the guy that sets the rules. He, he creates the working conditions. He creates the pay. And then you decide as an employee if you want to work there. See, as an employee, you have the ultimate say over whether or not you like the working conditions. Because if you don't like the working conditions, then you won't work there. And, of course, if somebody has very bad working conditions, one way they can compensate for that is by paying a lot more money. In fact, I read a lot of these stories about Harvey Weinstein where people were saying, you know, what a lousy person he was to work for. He was such a bad guy. 
But as a result of that, he paid very well. He ended up having to pay people a lot more money than he otherwise would have had to pay them if he was a nice guy. You see, the way he prevented his, his workers from quitting and working for a nicer boss was that he paid them a lot of money to endure all of his bullshit. And then the people thought, you know what, the guy's a jerk, but he pays me a lot of money, so I'm going to keep working for this jerk because all the non-jerks won't pay me as much money as this guy. But that is the penalty that he had to pay for the way he treated his workers. So it's up to the worker. Uh, and But we cannot allow uh, people to sue employers just because they don't like the work environment. And she worked there for two and a half years. Two and a half years. I mean, quit after one week. You're there for two and a half years. Now you're saying, I didn't like it. She's, I think in the lawsuit, she said she had to go to therapy or something. Well, then, you know, if your job makes you go to therapy, then quit your job, right? I mean, you know, we have to have some perspective, but all of this stuff is just spiraling out of control. It is all going to backfire. You know, we're going to make our businesses uh, less competitive now. They have more of this sensitivity training and, you know, and now, of course, they've introduced a whole new class of people. Now you have, you know, transgender people and, you know, people are, are, are getting in trouble because they use the wrong pronoun uh, just inadvertently, you know, uh, when they're referring to somebody. And now all of a sudden that's a big federal offense. And none of this has a, a, a part in the workforce. And I've said this many, many times that one of the riskiest things that you can do in America is open up a business. Why? Because you can get sued eight ways from Sunday for so many things that could possibly go wrong. Why do we want to do that? You know, you have the, the Republicans are talking about small businesses. They're under a lot of pressure. You know, let's you know lower their taxes. How about just relieve them from the threat of lawsuits? How about just say that businesses can conduct their business, owners of a business can conduct their business the way they want. They can hire who they want. They can fire who they want. And they can't get sued. And if people don't, you know, if their employees don't like it, they can quit. If their customers don't like it, they don't have to go there, right? Don't empower everybody to sue people just because they opened up a business. Because if that's the case, then fewer people are going to open businesses because they want to avoid lawsuits. Fewer people can afford to go into business because they don't have the money to pay for lawyers. And then if you have fewer businesses, you have fewer employees, See, if people want the opportunity to get a job, somebody needs to be willing to provide that job. And if we're going to sue all the people who provide those jobs, then fewer people are going to provide them. And those that do will provide fewer of them.